another informational resource from UK Healthcare. This is UK HealthCast, featuring conversations with our physicians and other healthcare providers. Here's Melanie Cole. According to the Glaucoma Research Foundation, glaucoma is a very misunderstood disease. Often people don't realize the severity or who's affected. Glaucoma is a leading cause of blindness. My guest today is Dr. Joshua Evans. He's an ophthalmologist specializing in glaucoma at UK Advanced Eye Care. Welcome to the show, Dr. Evans. So what is glaucoma? Um, so thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. So glaucoma, uh, I think like, you, uh, like you'd indicated, is, is very poorly misunderstood, even among uh, uh, glaucoma specialists. Uh, in general, glaucoma is believed to be a, a nerve damage, uh, optic nerve damage caused primarily uh, with uh, primary open angle glaucoma, primarily by an elevated pressure inside the eye uh, that causes damage directly to the nerve. With that comes loss of usually peripheral vision first um, in a slow uh, pattern lasting most of the time over periods of years to decades, uh, eventually if untreated resulting in uh, complete blindness. Who is at risk? Do we know? So, uh, most of what our studies are based on uh, kind of indicate a few major risk factors. Um, age is one. Uh, family history is, is a very significant risk factor. So if anybody does have uh, family members that have suffered from glaucoma, particularly at an early age, uh, they are at a much higher risk, and it is important that, the, uh, that they know their family history. Um, Having an elevated eye pressure, uh, having a thin cornea, which is something that uh, can be tested for at your uh, at your eye doctor's office, um, and uh, some some there's some racial predilection as well. Uh, African Americans and Hispanic Americans tend to be more affected by the disease, and particularly in African Americans, it tends to be a more uh, aggressive variant of glaucoma in those who do uh, actually uh, have glaucoma. So what happens at the early stages? Are there some symptoms, as you mentioned, it can happen over a period of years, but are there things that we might notice, things that people would send up a red flag that could send them to see an ophthalmologist for testing? There are some things. Uh, overall, glaucoma is kind of considered to be a silent thief of sight. Um, but with some of the, the more um, acute versions of glaucoma, like angle closure glaucoma, uh, you will tend to have significant pain. Um, in more of the chronic uh, variety, you, you may have uh, halos or, or rainbows kind of around lights, uh, particularly in the twilight hours, watching TV in the dark, these types of things with, with some soreness around the eyes. That can be a sign of a, t- of a slightly different type of glaucoma where the drain is actually being partially occluded uh, or plugged up. In the regular uh, sort of open-angle glaucoma variant, that's the much more common variant, uh, unfortunately, there are not a lot of early symptoms. Uh, the pressure tends to elevate slowly over a period of years, and as a result, the eye just kind of becomes accommodating to that pressure. And, uh, and as a result, then you don't really have these symptoms. You don't have symptoms of pain. Um, and, and since it is a peripheral vision disease primarily, uh, most people don't really realize they've lost significant vision until they come to their eye doctor and, and get the appropriate testing. So what is the appropriate testing? How's it diagnosed? Sure. So 
there, there's a couple different ways to look at it. Um, there are kind of a subjective testing or testing that the, the patient kind of actively participates in, and there's more objective testing where we can kind of test them with machines or take pictures and then analyze those. So the first time you come in for a glaucoma evaluation, you can expect that you'll, you'll uh, get a couple of different types of testing. The, the biggest one is a visual field analysis um, where we'll have you sit in a special machine um, and the, the machine will test points in your peripheral visual field, and you'll indicate whether or not you saw that point or not. And by doing so, it creates a map of where there may be some vision loss uh, and where the vision is normal. And we can use that then to guide our uh, therapeutic decisions about whether or not the disease is getting worse or it's staying the same. Uh, on top of that, uh, we uh, some of us still take uh, pictures, stereo pictures of the back of the eye looking at the nerve so that we can actually then, uh, on a yearly basis, see whether or not there's been visual changes in the nerve itself that we can see um, uh, with our microscopes. And then the third would be uh, testing with, with a new machine that actually can measure the thickness of the nerve tissue as that tissue is coming together to form the optic nerve itself. Um, by looking at that specifically for patterns of thinning and thinning overall, we can see that the thinning usually equates to damage at the optic nerve, and uh, uh, we can use that also as a kind of an objective measurement to follow uh, disease progression um, or, or whether or not there, there is a presence of glaucoma. Sometimes people get, can get sent in for glaucoma evaluations, and they may have just a normal anatomic variant, just kind of it, that's the way they're put together. The nerves look a little funny. They look a little bit like glaucoma, but after all of our testing, it shows that, that the, the nerve itself is fine and healthy uh, and, and that they don't actually have uh, any glaucoma disease. What's the first line of defense, doctor, when you do detect that there is some glaucoma present? Do you start with medicational intervention and does that slow the progression or is this something there is no cure? Tell us a little bit about intervention. Sure. Well, it is important to understand that, that with glaucoma, um, unlike cataracts, um, it, it's not reversible, uh, except in very rare instances, um, it is not a reversible process. So uh, when, when tissue is lost, when vision is lost, it, it will not come back. And that's why early intervention and early diagnosis is key. So when we do diagnose somebody uh, with an open-angle glaucoma or, or uh, glaucoma in general, the first step is, is, is or has been up till recently, um, medication. Uh, starting a medication, usually one that you take just once at night before you go to bed, um, and that usually will lower the pressure about 30%, which is what we like to see. Um, in the past few years, uh, there's been a rise of some laser procedures uh, that can be done in place of the drops, and it works about 80% of the time, and uh, if it does work, it tends to work for a period of about one to five years, and you know that, that's, that's great for some patients who really don't like to use drops or have trouble using drops, um, arthritis, or, or they only have one good eye, or they don't have anybody to help them at home. Uh, this can take the, the place of those drops uh, and allow good disease control uh, without them having to kind of be an active participant in treating the disease themselves. Uh, and then lastly, in some patients that come in and the disease is very advanced, usually the, the, the first-line or second-line treatments of medications and lasers uh, w would not have enough of an effect that late in the disease. And, and for those individuals, then, surgery is usually the, the best option. Um, and 
surgery when successful then is is, is good at keeping the pressure as low as possible uh, for as long as possible, uh, usually without any drops or with very minimal drops uh, in order to kind of augment that. One of the medications might be beta blockers that you try and people will say, well, I don't have heart disease or high blood pressure. So what is the relationship there? So uh, the beta blockers that we use, obviously there's, there's these beta receptors kind of, uh, they're all over the body and all these different tissues. Uh, where they're located in the eye is kind of in the fluid producing part. Um, and we use them to suppress uh, the part of the eye that makes the fluid that, that is essentially bathing the front part of the eye and the lens. When there's too much of that fluid, the pressure goes up. And so we're kind of turning down the faucet using those beta blockers. Um, they obviously, they, they do have many effects as well, like, like you had said, uh, effects on the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system. Um, the drops that we use tend to have very minimal absorption uh, into the kind of the, the, the uh, entire body. Uh, however, patients who have uh, asthma uh, or, or obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, poor pulmonary function, poor lung function, um, we usually try to avoid the beta blockers in them uh, just because it, it can sometimes cause uh, some spasm of the airways and, and a little bit of a deterioration in the respiratory status. Um, as far as cardiovascular effects, it really doesn't have much the only other effect I'd mention uh, would be in some patients who are very, very advanced diabetics, it can sometimes cover up a little bit of those hypoglycemia symptoms. So people may not know their blood sugar is getting a little low. In order to combat this, uh, if they absolutely must be used, we practice uh, what we call punctal occlusion. Um, essentially, any eye drops you put in your eyes will run through your tear ducts and into your nose. And that's really where they get absorbed is through the nasal mucosa because it's so richly vascular. So by plugging, uh, by using a finger to kind of push the side of the nose and prevent those tears from coming in for a, for a minute or so after you use the eye drops, we can dramatically decrease the absorption of the medication into that nasal mucosa and into the rest of the body. What a great explanation, Dr. Evans. So is there anything you'd like listeners to know about things they can do at home? Is there any sort of prevention or lifestyle management, behavioral lifestyle changes that they can make to either prevent it or just to keep good eye health? Sure. So there is a lot of research out uh, regarding the impact of exercise and eye pressure. And in multiple studies, it has been shown that uh, a a regular aerobic or regular sort of cardiovascular uh, uh, exercise program uh, will uh, have a a pressure-lowering effect on the eyes. Now, if you have glaucoma, exercise alone is is probably not enough to bring the pressure down to a, a more normal, acceptable range. But, you know, in in anybody, uh, exercise is never a bad thing. And uh, in some of those people where their their pressures may be a little on the edge, uh, you know, getting out there and a brisk walk, you know, jogging, uh, kind of getting that heart rate up uh, three or four times a a week consistently has has shown to decrease that eye pressure. A couple other more... uh, unlikely scenarios uh, or rarer scenarios in patients who actually do have glaucoma, things like yoga, which is a really great, uh, you know, a way to stay in shape, a way to keep healthy, way to focus on reducing stress. Uh, in some of those yoga stands where you're on your head, there has been shown to be a, an increase in your eye pressure uh, when you're, when you're, uh, when kind of all the blood is rushing to your head like that. So we would advise against you know, the, the type of headstand positions uh, for any, anybody who's actively into yoga if, if they have uh, 
uh, open ankle glaucoma that's been diagnosed. Uh, that and if anybody is in a, a scuba diver or a big time swimmer, the tighter you wear your goggles, the higher it will raise the pressure inside the eye as well. So if you're kind of, again, on the borderline or you do have a bad family history or you yourself have glaucoma, it, swimming is a great exercise. But the, the, try to find goggles that, that aren't uh, fitting tightly enough that, you know, they're, they're leaving the red marks around the eyes when you're, all, when you're all finished swimming. So wrap it up for us, Dr. Evans. been a fascinating segment with your best advice about glaucoma and glaucoma awareness and what you want us to know about your team at UK Healthcare. Certainly. Uh, number one, I think it's... Uh, with, with today's uh, electronic medical records and everybody being more, uh, more of a participant in their health care, uh, it's never been more important to know your family history. So th- this is the time to have conversations with grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, uh, because a lot of the time people didn't go to the doctor for everything in the past. And sometimes people that lost sight, they just figured it was because they were getting old. Uh, and if, if you can figure these things out now, uh, it can really give you a head start on whether or not uh, you should be in seeing an eye doctor on a regular basis um, or if you should call and make an appointment right now. Uh, so knowing one's family history is extremely important, uh, number one. Number two, uh, yearly eye exams for everybody, uh, especially if you have a history of diabetes or high blood pressure or other medical comorbidities like that, is very important because the eyes are the one place where a doctor can examine your your uh, blood vasculature, your blood vessels, arteries, and veins inside the body, functioning in their normal environment. Uh, they, they can't do that in any other specialty without using either machines or testing. So there's a lot of diseases that can really show their first, um, uh, the first uh, pathology in your body by looking in the eyes. So it's very important um, because they really can be a window to better health. And three, here at UK, um, uh, so we have a, a, a huge multidisciplinary team uh, that specializes in everything from the front to the back part of the eye. Um, for the glaucoma team, there's myself and two other glaucoma specialists, and it's a very exciting time for glaucoma right now because uh, there is a, uh, a kind of a new renaissance where more early intervention type of surgical procedures where uh, we're doing micro-invasive procedures uh, with small stent devices, with lasers, uh, these types of things that in the past, they weren't really an option. And I think we'll start seeing a shift in intervention to intervene earlier with folks that have, you know, more minimal or moderate disease and use some of these new tools to lower their pressures, keep them off drops, keep them happier longer, uh, and keep their eyesight excellent as, uh, you know, as long as we possibly can with this disease. Um, and here at UK, we've really embraced that. And so uh, it, it's not a disease where we, we wait until the very end of the disease uh, to do any type of surgical procedure now. It really is kind of transforming into an early intervention and a, th- a three-pronged approach of medicine, uh, medicine laser and surgery. Thank you so much, Dr. Evans, for being with us today. If you'd like to make an appointment with Dr. Evans or any of our specialists at UK Advanced Eye Care, please call 859-323-5867. That's 859-323-5867. This is UK HealthCast with the University of Kentucky HealthCare. For more information, you can go to ukhealthcare.uky.edu. That's ukhealthcare.uky.edu. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.